grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may have heard before that the words Trinity and Triune are not found in the Bible. These are terms that were developed uh, over the the centuries of the Christian church by theologians, by leaders of, of the Christian church, to describe what the Bible clearly teaches about the essence of the one true God, which uh, just moments ago we confessed in great detail in the Athanasian Creed. But the Bible teaches that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Yet they are not three gods, but there is only one God. While it's important for us to understand this truth and the details of the Athanasian Creed, that's not the main reason why the doctrine of the Holy Trinity is so important for us to understand. The doctrine of the Trinity is so important for us to understand because in the Bible, we see the triune God creating us and providing for us, redeeming us, and sanctifying us out of his great love for us so that we will have eternal life with him. The blessing of our triune God that we see here in the verses of our reading today and all the work that he has done for us and continues to do for us today out of his great love for us. This is the great importance for us of the doctrine of the Trinity. And so we focus especially on verse 14 of our reading, the last verse of this book of 2 Corinthians, which begins with the words, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's grace is the source of all that a Christian is and does. The Apostle Paul, who is writing these words to the Christians in the Greek city of Corinth, his experience was rooted in God's grace and God's unconditional love for undeserving sinners. That grace of God had sought Paul, even while he was totally opposed to God and God's will. That grace of God confronted Paul, and it forgave him. Even while he was on the way to persecute Christians, to persecute believers in the true God and in Jesus the Savior. Paul had originally thought that Christians were part of a a blasphemous, heretical cult that was against the truth of God's work. Until the risen Lord Jesus met him face to face. And in that instant, Paul realized that everything he had believed before, everything he had done before, was wrong. And worse than wrong, it was useless. It was rubbish. And also in that instant, he realized God's grace to him. God's forgiving love. He had a total conversion, a total transformation. What a remarkable story of new life. Paul's experience stands as a powerful witness of grace. The totally undeserved, but freely given and powerfully effective favor of Jesus. Paul's life was changed radically by that forgiveness of Jesus. And his new life of faith in Jesus continued to be marked by zeal and dedication. But now it was also tempered by the fruit of the Holy Spirit, by patience, humility, gratitude, and adoring love of his Savior. And so Paul 
draws on his experience of God's grace at key times in his ministry, including his marvelous witness to the, the appearance of the risen Lord Jesus. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the great resurrection chapter of the Bible, when he's talking about all the appearances of the risen Lord Jesus to Peter and to all of the apostles, to, to the women on, on that first Easter morning, to more than 500 believers at, at just one time during those 40 days between Easter and Jesus' ascension. And then the apostle Paul writes, last of all, he appeared also to me, the stillborn child, so to speak. For I am the least of the apostles. And I am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted God's church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not ineffectual. How about us? Think about your own experience with the amazing grace of God. How often do we recall and retell our own experience of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, as the Apostle Paul did? Think back, if you can, uh, all the way back to your baptism, where God, in his grace, applied to you the forgiveness of sins that was won for you by the suffering and death of our Lord Jesus Christ, when God adopted you into his family. And while you may not remember your own baptism if you were baptized as a young child, yet you know from God's word that the forgiving love of Jesus has come into our lives through this means of grace. We know that this blessing of baptism establishes a new relationship between us and God that gives us eternal life with God as well. Eternal life that has already begun and that will continue even beyond the death of these mortal bodies. So we live with the confidence that our sins and our failures are forgiven and paid for by Jesus. He is always present with us until the very end of the age. And so when we think about our sins of this past week or even of this morning, which have a, a nagging way of being part of our experience as Christians living in this sinful world, including even sometimes our saying no to the forgiving grace of God that comes our way, we are able to be blessed by the word of God, recorded by the Apostle John in, in the Gospel of John chapter 1, where John writes, out of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The riches of Jesus' grace were not simply conveyed in his words and his teaching about a gracious heavenly father, but they were also marvelously lived out for the people of his time and for us to see. The Apostle Paul writes about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor, so that through his poverty, you might become rich. Jesus manifested his grace on the cross. He died for all, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That, that theology of the cross was at the heart of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. The essence of this theology of the cross is that God comes to us in ways that we don't expect, and that at first might seem rather disappointing or even inappropriate. Paul wrote, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 about what an offense the message of the cross is to the people of this world. 
He said, Jews ask for signs. Greeks desire wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, which is offensive to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And as we read the, the books of First and Second Corinthians, we see that so-called Judaizing Christians had invaded the Corinthian Christian church, which with a, a, a kind of theology that was not rooted in this theology of Jesus Christ and him crucified, but as Martin Luther would later describe it, as a theology of glory. And their ultimate teaching promised that people could be saved by their own good works rather than solely by relying on God's grace. Paul became very stern with these harmful, undermining false teachers as he also personified the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in conveying God's blessing to all the believers and encouraging them to live in true unity. Above all, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ helps us in our daily lives to absorb hope to keep our eyes wide open to the reality of, of despair and suffering in this world, to trust others around us, and to take the first step toward reconciliation whenever that may be. Hope does not come from our good experiences in the past or from the wisdom of this world. Rather, it arises out of God's accepting us by grace alone. Christian's faith does not imagine God's grace to be cheap grace, as some people have, have rather insultingly uh, referred to the idea of salvation by grace alone. At the center of our whole experience and the source of all that the Christian says and does is the cross of Christ. So when the Apostle Paul refers to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the promise for us that life is stronger than death. And God has made us fully alive by his grace in Jesus Christ. Turn to the next part of this, this triple blessing that the Apostle Paul records in verse 13, uh, 14. Is that the blessing of this grace flows from the love of God the Father. We sing in the common doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And especially the blessing of a deep and abiding relationship with God as our Father. The grace of Jesus made Paul aware of the love of God the Father for him. God was no longer far away and distant and angry judge, but he was near, caring, and deeply loving. Luther, Martin Luther, experienced that same breakthrough of faith almost 1,500 years after the Apostle Paul's own conversion. Martin Luther had initially viewed God, as many, many people of his time also did, as a harsh and angry judge who was simply waiting for people to slip up and then exacting punishment from them. By God's grace, through God's word, Martin Luther came to realize that God, yes, he is a righteous judge, but more than that, he is a loving father who has given his own son into death in order to save us. God chose us out of a love that knew not only what we were as sinful human beings, but also 
what by God's grace we can become. That's what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, that he chose us so that we would be holy and blameless in his sight. God has greatly blessed us. We are God's children through faith in Jesus as our Savior, and nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The experience and the reality of God's love enabled the Apostle Paul to move ahead boldly, proclaiming and thanking God for everything that he experienced, both both difficulty and great joy. When we know that we are loved by God, nothing can bring despair or depression. No experience can break our spirit. Paul assures the Corinthian congregation in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we hold this treasure in jars of clay to show that its extraordinary power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed, perplexed, yet not despairing, persecuted, yet not forsaken, struck down, yet not destroyed. We were able to bless others also with this same love of God our Father. Paul, for example, continued to love the people who hurt him and who opposed his message and who attacked him and, and undermined him. Is there a more powerful witness to our God of love than to love and forgive other people? Not because they are so lovable, but because God is love. We are called to heal with that love. And God blesses us with models, perhaps in our own family relationships, in the caring love of our parents, for example. We have a glimpse, even though in an imperfect form, of the magnificent love of our Heavenly Father, who entered into our sin-sick hearts and who took away the hurt that sin has caused through the forgiveness that he won for us by the death of his own son on the cross. And so as we enter into the hurt lives of others with the good news of Jesus and with our deeds of care and love, we let others know what that love of God the Father is all about. The love of God is almost unbelievable. But by God's grace and the power of his spirit, we believe and love. And so Paul can promise, the God of love will be with you. What is the actual blessing that Paul experienced? It's a fellowship with God that he shares through the indwelling Holy Spirit with those who are members of the body of Christ through faith in Jesus as the Savior. This fellowship of the Spirit is the, really the, the true description of what the church is. We are united together. We have fellowship one another with one another through the gift of faith that the Holy Spirit has worked in our hearts. Think about the church at Pentecost, which we just heard about last Sunday. That church was a fellowship. It was a new creation, a community knit together by the Holy Spirit that included on that Pentecost day people who had come from, from many different nations of the Mediterranean world and the Middle East all coming together and hearing the good news that Jesus is their Savior and uniting around that faith in Jesus. The power of the church, this gospel message, is proclaimed 
through our fellowship as believers. This power sustains the individual Christian and takes us out of the loneliness that we may often feel, even in our very interconnected world that we live in today. So once again, in the words of one of our cherished hymns, we sing, Oh, blessed communion, fellowship divine. This fellowship must never be exclusive. The church's mission is to reach out with the message of the gospel so that the Spirit may extend this fellowship by working faith in the hearts of those who hear the good news of Jesus, the Savior. The experience of the Holy Spirit is not meant to be primarily a personal experience. No, it's meant to be shared with others. The Holy Spirit is with us in intangible ways, in material and and physical and and audible means, such as the Word of God, the, the waters of baptism, the the bread and wine and the body and blood of Jesus and the Lord's Supper. God wants these things to be shared among Christians and from Christians out to others around us. And in this way, that fellowship of the Holy Spirit is spread. The life that we now live is the life of this indwelling Spirit by whom we are also one with the whole church of believers in Jesus. Spirit can be resisted by our sinful nature. We might sometimes try to justify divisions and factions and infighting within this fellowship, and sometimes we might live out of concern only for ourselves. Although, because of our sinfulness, we sometimes fail in this fellowship, yet the Holy Spirit renews us each day in the new life of faith in Jesus as our Savior. That that faith that was created in our hearts at our baptism and strengthened through God's word and through the Lord's Supper. Where do we experience this new life today? As in the church here now, we enter into this season of the church in the Sundays after Pentecost. May we place ourselves where the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is experienced in the word and sacrament around which we gather together for worship in our support of one another, and in prayer and opportunities for Bible study together. The person who has a a chronic illness or is recovering from injury or surgery needs our fellowship, as does the the troubled young person who shies away from personal conversation and interaction with other members of this fellowship of our church. The Holy Spirit will work through the gospel that is expressed in our words and demonstrated in our actions of prayer and love to create a bond with a person in need that will both strengthen us in the fellowship of faith and give us the experience of new life. We are invited by our Lord to experience new life through faith in Jesus. For the Apostle Paul, for the the Christians in the city of Corinth, and for the church today. The experience of God's loving and forgiving relationship is vital for us. And the source of it all is expressed in Paul's closing words of blessing in several of the letters that he writes. For example, in Philippians chapter 4, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May these blessings of grace and love And fellowship be with you all. 
Paul's closing prayer in the second letter to the Corinthians, asks that the rich resources of God's gracious presence may work with power to meet every need of those Christians whom God greatly loves and who deeply need his help to live. May this blessing of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be yours as well, today and always.